Hello, and welcome back to Riverside Readings. I am your host, Trent Miley, and today we will be continuing our journey of our Shakespeare sonnet series. In part two, which covered sonnets 21 to 40, we saw an exploration of love and the complications that arise from love. Neither good nor bad, but brought to light in moments of desperation. Desperation brings out the most primitive forms of our human species, and while we are in these moments, we make priority to anything and everything that matters, which, so far for our poet, has been the love of another and the journey they take together. I look forward to what we will discover in part three of our Shakespeare sonnet series on Riverside Readings. Without further ado, here are Shakespeare's sonnets, 41 to 60. Those pretty wrongs that liberty commits when I am sometime absent from thy heart, thy beauty and thy years full well befits, for still temptation follows where thou art. Gentle thou art, and therefore to be won. Beauteous thou art, therefore to be assailed. And when a woman woos, what woman's son will sourly leave her till he have prevailed? Aim me, but yet thou mightest my seat forbear, and chide thy beauty and thy straying youth, who lead thee in their riot even there, where thou art forced to break a twofold truth. Hers by thy beauty tempting her to thee, thine by thy beauty being false to me. Those pleasing insults that freedom permits, when I am sometimes absent from your heart, they are appropriate to your beauty and your age, since temptation follows you wherever you go. You are noble, and therefore a prize to be won. You are beautiful, and therefore to be seduced. And when a woman seduces, what kind of a man will bitterly leave her alone until he has prevailed? Oh, but you might keep away from the seed of my love, and keep your beauty and naughty youth in check, which lead you in their debauchery there too, where you are forced to break two different vows. Her vow to me, since your beauty tempts her to abandon me, and your vow to me, because your beauty is unfaithful to me. That thou hast her, it is not all my grief, and yet it may be said I loved her dearly. That she hath thee is of my wailing chief, a loss in love that touches me more nearly. Loving offenders, thus I will excuse ye, Thou dost love her because thou knowest I love her, and for my sake even so doth she abuse me, suffering my friend for my sake to approve her. If I lose thee, my loss is my love's gain, and losing her, my friend hath found that loss. 
both find each other, and I lose both twain, and both for my sake lay on me this cross. But here's the joy. My friend and I are one. Sweet flattery. Then she loves but me alone. That you have her is not all of my sadness, and it is true to say that she was precious to me. The main cause of my wailing is that she has you, a loss in love that affects me more deeply. Criminals of love, I will forgive you for these reasons. You love her because you know I love her, and she abuses me because she knows I love you, allowing my friend to test her for my sake. If I lose you, my loss is my lover's gain, and losing her meant my friend found what I had lost. Both of them find each other, and I lose them both, and both of them make me suffer for my own sake. And this is why my friend and I are the same person. What a happy delusion. This means she loves only me. When most I wink, then do mine eyes best see, for all the day they view things unrespected. But when I sleep, in dreams they look on thee, and darkly bright are bright and dark directed. Then thou, whose shadow's shadows doth make bright, how would thy shadows form, form, happy show, to the clear day with thy much clearer light, when to unseeing eyes thy shade shines so? How would, I say, mine eyes be blessed made by looking on thee in the living day, when in dead night thy fair and perfect shade through heaven sleep on sightless eyes doth stay? All days are nights to see till I see thee, and night's bright days when dreams do show thee me. When I am most tired, then my eyes see most clearly, since during the day they see unimportant things. But when I sleep, my eyes see you in my dreams. They are darkly bright, and shine in the darkness they are directed into. Then you, who are so bright that your shadow makes shadows bright, how would your shadow's form make a pleasing appearance in the bright day with your even brighter light, when your image shines so brightly to unseeing eyes? How would, I ask, my eyes be blessed by looking on you in the living day, when in the dead of night your imperfect shadow survives on unseeing eyes in deep sleep. All days are dark as nights until I see you, and nights are bright days when dreams show you to me. If the dull substance of my flesh for thought Injurious distance should not stop my way, for then, despite of space, I would be brought from limits far remote where thou dost stay. No matter then, although my foot did stand upon the farthest earth removed from thee, for nimble thought can jump both sea and land as soon as think the place where he would be. But, uh, thought kills me that I am not thought to leap large lengths of miles when thou art gone. But that so much of earth and water wrought, I must attend time's leisure with my moan, receiving knots by elements so slow, but heavy tears, badges of either's woe.
If the heavy substance of my flesh was thought instead, harmful distance should not keep me from you. For then, despite the distance, I would be brought from lands far away to where you are staying. It wouldn't matter if my foot was standing upon the point on the earth furthest removed from you. Quick thought can jump across both sea and land as soon as it thinks of the place where he would be. But uh, thoughts kills me when I think I am not thought to leap many miles when you are gone. Since my body is made of so much earth and water, I must wait on the whim of time with my complaints, receiving nothing from the slow elements but heavy tears, the tokens of their grief. The other two, slight air and purging fire, are both with thee wherever I abide. The first, my thought, the other, my desire. These present absent with swift motion slide. For when these quicker elements are gone in tender embassy of love to thee, my life being made of four, with two alone sinks down to death, oppressed with melancholy. Until life's composition be recured by those swift messengers returned from thee, who even but now come back again, assured of thy fair health recounting it to me. This told I joy, but then no longer glad. I send them back again, and straight grow sad. The other two elements, light air and cleansing fire, are both with you wherever I am. Air is my thought, and fire is my desire. Wherever they are present, they quickly slide away. When these quicker elements are gone and make a tender embassy of love to you, my life, being made of four elements, is only two and sinks down to death, sinking into melancholy. Until the proper composition of my life can be restored by the return of those swift messengers from you, who now come back once more, assured of your good health, recounting it to me. This being confirmed, I am overjoyed, but then no longer glad. I send them back again, and straight again become sad. Mine eye and heart are at a mortal war how to divide the conquest of thy sight. Mine eye, my heart, thy picture's sight would bar. My heart, mine eye, the freedom of that right. My heart doth plead that thou in him dost lie, a closet never pierced with crystal eyes. But the defendant doth that plead deny, and says in him thy fair appearance lies. Decide this title is impaneled, a quest of thoughts, all tenants to the heart, and by their verdict is determined the clear eye's miety and the dear heart's part. As thus, mine eyes do is thy outward part, and my heart's right, thy inward love of heart. My eye and heart are at war over how to divide the spoils of their conquest of the sight of you. My eye denies my heart the sight of your picture. My heart denies my eye the exercise of that right. My heart begs you to live in him, 
a private chamber never pierced by the clearest eyes. But the eye denies that plea, and says your beautiful image lies within him instead. To decide who gets to own your image, a jury of thoughts have gathered, all tenets of the heart, and it is decided by their verdict which is the clear eye's half in the dear heart's half. As follows. My eyes receive your outward appearance, and my heart's right is your inner love of heart. Betwixt mine eye and heart a league is took, and each doth good turns now unto the other. When that mine eye is famished for a look, or heart in love with sighs himself doth smother, with my love's picture then my eye doth feast, and to the painted banquet bids my heart. Another time mine eye is my heart's guest, and in his thoughts of love doth share a part. So either by thy picture or my love, thyself away are present still with me, for thou no farther than my thoughts canst move, and I am still with them, and they with thee. Or if they sleep, thy picture in my sight awakens my heart to hearts and eyes delight. Between my eye and heart a peace treaty is established, and now each of them does good turns to the other. When my eye is starving for a look of that, or when my heart, in love, is smothered by his own sighs, my eye feasts on my love's picture and invites my heart to join the painted banquet. Another time my eye is my heart's guest and shares a part of the heart's thoughts of love. So either by your picture or my love, you are still present with me, even when you are away. Since you can't leave my thoughts, and I am with my thoughts, and they are with you. And when they sleep, the sight of your image awakens my heart to the joy of both my heart and my eye. How careful was I when I took my way, each trifle under truest bars to thrust, that to use it might used stay from hands of falsehood and sure wards of trust. But thou, to whom my jewels trifle are, most worthy comfort, now my greatest grief, thou best of dearest and mine only care, art left the prey of every vulgar thief. Thee have I not locked up in any chest, save where thou art not, thou I feel thou art, within the gentle closure of my breast from whence at pleasure thou mayest come in part. And even thence thou will be stolen, I fear, for truth proves thievish for a prize so dear. How careful I was when I set off on my journey, thrusting each trifle under the most trustworthy bars, so that for my own use it might stay unused by unfaithful hands in a trustworthy container. But you, who make my jewels seem like trifles, my best comfort, are now my greatest grief. You are the best of my most valued things, and my only concern are left to be the prey of every common thief. 
You I have not locked in any chest, except for where you are not, though I feel that you are, within the noble enclosure of my breast, from where you may come and go. And I am even afraid that you will be stolen from there, since even truth might become a thief for a prize as valuable as you. Against that time, if ever that time come, when I shall see thee frown on my defects, when as thy love hath cast his utmost sum, call to that audit by advised respects. Against that time when thou shalt strangely pass, and scarcely greet me with that sun, thine eye, when love, converted from the thing it was, shall reasons find of settled gravity. Against that time do I ensconce me here within the knowledge of mine own desert, and this my hand against myself uprear to guard the lawful reasons on thy part. To leave poor me, thou hast the strength of laws, since why to love I can allege no cause. Preparing for that time, if that time should come, when I will see you frown on my flaws, and the time when your love has counted his final total, called to that counting by judicious reasons. Preparing for that time when you pass by like a stranger and barely greet me with that sun, your gaze. When love, converted from the thing that it was, will justify itself with arguments from established authorities. Preparing for that time, I shelter myself here within the knowledge of my own merit and raise this hand against myself to protect your lawful arguments. To leave poor me, you have the strength of laws since why you should love me. I can provide no cause. How heavy do I journey on the way when what I seek my weary travels end doth teach that ease and that repose to say, thus far the miles are measured from thy friend. The beast that bears me, tired with my woe, plods dully on to bear that weight in me, as if by some instinct the wretch did know his rider loved not speed, being made from thee. The bloody spur cannot provoke him on that sometimes anger thrust into his hide, which heavily he answers with a groan, more sharp to me than spurring to his side. For that same groan doth put this in my mind, my grief lies onward and my joy behind. How heavily do I travel on my journey when what I am looking for, the end of my weary travels, will only permit my ease and repose to say, I measure the miles I've traveled by how far I am from my friend. The beast that carries me, tired with my sorrow, plods slowly from bearing that weight in me, as if by some instinct, the wretched creature knew his rider did not love speed, since it makes me further from you. This bloody spur cannot provoke him to ride more quickly that I sometimes thrust angrily into his hide, which he answers sadly with a groan, 
more painful to me than spurring us to his side because that same groan makes me think this. My grief lies ahead and my joy behind. Thus can my love excuse the slow offense of my dull bearer, when from thee I speed. From where thou art, why should I haste me thence? Till I return of posting is no need, of what excuse will my poor beast then find, when swift extremity can seem but slow? Then I should spur, though mounted on the wind, and winged speed no notion shall I know. And can no horse with my desire keep pace. Therefore desire of perfectest love being made shall nay no dull flesh in his fiery race, but love for love thus shall excuse my jade, since from thee going he went willful slow. Towards thee I'll run and give him leave to go. This is the thought with which my love excuses the slowness of my slow bearer when I travel away from you. Why should I make haste away from where you are? Until my return journey, there is no need for hurrying. Oh, what excuse will my poor horse then have when extreme speed can only seem slow? I would spur him on even if I were riding the wind itself. If I travel like the wind, I would not feel any movement. No horse can keep pace with my desire. Therefore desire, being made of the most perfect love, shall not neigh any slow flesh in his burning race, but love, for love, I will excuse my slow horse like this. Since he intentionally slowly away from you, I'll run to you and allow him to walk. So am I as the rich who blessed key can bring him to his sweet uplocked treasure, the which he will not every hour survey for blunting the fine point of seldom pleasure. Therefore are feasts so solemn and so rare, since seldom coming in the long year set, like stones of worth they thinly placed are, or captain jewels in the carcinet. So is the time that keeps you as my chest, or as the wardrobe which the robe doth hide, to make some special instant special blessed by new unfolding his imprisoned pride. Blessed are you whose worthiness gives scope, being had to triumph, being lacked to hope. I am like the rich man whose blessed key can bring him to his sweet locked up treasure, which he does not look over every hour in order not to blunt the fine point of pleasure. This is why religious festivals are so serious and so infrequent, since they arrive so rarely during the long year, like expensive jewels they are placed sparingly, or the main jewels in a necklace. The time that keeps you in my chest, or a closet in which an expensive robe is kept, 
to make a special occasion especially blessed by once again revealing its concealed splendor. You are blessed, and your value provides a scope. To have you is to triumph. To lack you is to long for you. What is your substance? Whereof are you made that millions of strange shadows on you tend? Since everyone hath everyone one shade, and you but one can every shadow lend. Describe Adonis, and the counterfeit his poorly imitated after you. On Helen's cheek all art of beauty set, and you in Grecian tires are painted new. Speak of the spring and foison of the year. The one doth shadow of your beauty show, the other as your bounty doth appear. In you, in every blessed shape we know, in all external grace you have some part, but you like none, none you, for constant heart. What is the substance of which are you made, such that millions of strange shadows follow you, since everyone each has to themselves one shadow, and you, although you are only one, can lend everyone a shadow. Describe Adonis, and the description is a poor imitation of you. Apply the entire art of makeup to Helen of Troy's face, and you will find a representation of yourself in Greek dress. Talk of the springtime, our harvest of the year, and spring is no more than a shadow of your beauty and the harvest appears equivalent to your godness. We recognize you in every blessed shape. You have some part in every external thing that is beautiful, but you are like none, and none like you, because of how faithful you are. Oh, how much more doth beauty beauteous seem by that sweet ornament which truth doth give? The rose looks fair, but fairer we it deem for that sweet owner which doth in it live. The canker blooms as full as deep a dye as the perfumed tincture of the roses. Hang on such thorns, and play as wantonly when summer's breath is maxed, buds discloses. But for their virtue only is their show. They live unwooed, and unrespected fade, die to themselves. Sweet roses do not sow. Of their sweet deaths are sweetest odors made. And so of you, beauteous and lovely youth. When that shall fade, my verse distills your truth. Oh, how much more beautiful does beauty seem when it has the sweet ornament of truth. The rose looks beautiful, but we think of it as more beautiful for the sweet aroma that lives in it. Dog roses are dyed just as deeply as the perfumed color of the roses. They have similar thorns and show off just as sensually when summer's warm air unfolds their closed buds. But their only value is only for their looks. They are unloved and fade away without having been admired, dying on their own. Sweet roses do not do this. 
sweetest perfumes are distilled from their sweet depths. And same is true of you, beautiful and lovely youth. When those qualities fade, my verse will distill your true essence. Not marble nor the gilded monuments of princes shall outlive this powerful rhyme, but you shall shine more bright in these contents than unswept stone besmeared with sluttish time. When wasteful war shall statues overturn and broils root out the work of masonry, nor mars his sword, nor war's quick fire shall burn the living record of your memory. Against death and all oblivious enmity shall you pace forth. Your praise shall still find room even in the eyes of all posterity that wear this world out to the endearing doom. So till the judgment that yourself arise, you live in this and dwell in lovers' eyes. Neither marble nor the golden monuments of princes will outlive this powerful poem. But you will shine brighter in its contents than unswept stone made foul by dirty time. When a wasteful war topples statues and commotions root out the work of masons, neither Mars's sword or war's quick fire will burn the living record of your memory. Against death and all the forces of forgetfulness you will evade. Your praise will still occupy the eyes of all posterity that will exhaust this world until the end of time. So until the last judgment, when you rise as yourself, you live in this poem and dwell in lovers' eyes. Sweet love, renew thy force. Be it not said thy edge should blunter be than appetite, which but today by feeding is allayed, tomorrow sharpened in his former might. So love be thou, although today thou fill thy hungry eyes even till they wink with fullness, tomorrow see again, and do not kill the spirit of love with a perpetual dullness. Let this sad interim like the ocean be which parts the shore where two contracted new come daily to the banks, that when they see return of love, more blessed may be the view, else call it winter, which being full of care, makes summer's welcome thrice more wished, more rare. Sweet love, renew your strength. Don't let it be said that your effect should be duller than your appetite, which by feeding is satisfied today, but tomorrow returns in its former intensity. So love, be yourself. Although today you fill your hungry eyes until they wink with fullness, tomorrow see again, and do not kill the spirit of love with a permanent lack of interest. Imagine this sad gap as like the ocean which divides two shores, where two newly married come to the shores every day, so that when they see the return of the one they love, the view is more blessed, or else call it the winter, which being full of worries, greets the summer, three times more wishes, more valuable.
being your servant, what should I do but tend upon the hours and times of your desire? I have no precious time at all to spend, nor services to do, till you require. Nor dare I chide the world without end, hour, whilst I, my sovereign, watch the clock for you. Nor think the bitterness of absence sour when you have bid your servant once adieu. Nor dare I question with my jealous thought where you may be or your affairs suppose, but, like a sad servant, stay and think of naught save where you are, how happy you make those. So true a fool is love that in your will, thou you do anything, he thinks no ill. Being your servant, what can I do but wait during the hours and appointments of your desire? My time is not precious at all, and I don't think I have work to do until you require me. Nor do I complain of the endlessness of the time that I wait for you, my king. Nor do I think that the bitterness of absence is sour when you have dismissed your servant, me. Nor do I dare to ask possessive questions about where you are or about your business, but, like a sad servant, I wait and think of nothing except how happy you make those who are where you are. I am such an absolutely faithful fool in love that I think you can do no wrong, whatever you do. That God forbid that made me your first servant, I should in thought control your times of pleasure, or at your hand the count of hours to crave being your vassal bound to stay your leisure. Oh, let me suffer, being at your beck, the imprisoned absence of your liberty, impatience tame to suffer and spide each check without accusing you of injury. Be where you list, your charter is so strong that you yourself may privilege your time to what you will. To you it doth belong yourself to pardon of self-doing crime. I am to wait. Though waiting be so hell, not blame your pleasure, be it ill or well. Cupid, the god who first made me your servant, forbid me from thinking I can control when you seek pleasure, or want you to tell me how you have been spending the hours, being your tenant and therefore obliged to wait on you. Now oh, let me suffer being absolutely under your control in the imprisoned absence, which is your right, and let patience teach me endure each hardship without blaming you for my suffering. Be wherever you want. You have so strong a claim that you can spend your time doing whatever you like. You may also pardon yourself of any crime you commit. I have to wait. Although waiting like this is hell, not to criticize you for your desires, good or bad. If there be nothing new but that which is hath been before, how are our brains beguiled, which, laboring for invention, bear amiss the second burthen of a former child? Oh, that record could, with a backward look, even of five hundred courses of the sun, show me your image of some antique book, since mind at first in character was done, that I might see what the old world could say to this composed wonder of your frame. Whether we are mended, or where better they, or whether revolution be the same, 
Oh, sure, I am the wits of former days, but to subjects worse have given admiring praise. If there is nothing truly new, and everything that exists has existed before, how are our brains so misguided that striving to invent something new and fail giving birth to something that has already been born? Oh, that the memory could looking back even 500 orbits of the sun. Show me your image in some ancient book since the time when thought was first written down so that I could see what the old world could speak of the wonderful composition of your body. Know if we have improved or if they were better or whether the cycle of time means we are the same. Oh, I am sure that the writers of the old days gave to inferior subjects their admiring praise. Like as the waves make towards the pebbled shore, so do our minutes hasten to their end, each changing place with that which goes before, and sequent toil all forwards do contend. Nativity, once in the main of light, crawls to maturity, wherewith being crowned, crooked eclipses gainst his glory fight, and time that gave doth now his gift confound. Time doth transfix the florist set on youth, and delves the parallels in beauty's brow, feeds on the rarities of nature's truth, and nothing stands but for his scythe to mow. And yet to times in hope my verses shall stand, praising thy worth despite his cruel hand. Like the waves that move towards the pebbled shore, so do our minutes hurry to their death, each taking the place of the one that went before, all of them in a sequence striving forwards. A newborn thing, which was once in the wide sea of life, crawls to maturity, where once it is crowned, is fought against by sinister eclipses, and time ruins the gift that it gave to him. Time pierces the beauty that adorns youth, and digs wrinkles into beauty's forehead. It feeds on the rare treasure of nature's truth, and nothing stands that his scythe can't mow down. And yet, until future times I hope my poetry will stand, praising your value despite time's cruel hand. Hello, I am your host, Trent Miley, and today I am breaking the fourth wall. Today is February 2nd, and the reason I am breaking the fourth wall is because I wanted to give a short message to my loving parents. Today is their 32nd wedding anniversary. This goes out to Ralph and Don Miley, or to me, mom and dad. Over the last 32 years, with me being a part of 26 of them, I have enjoyed each and every day I have been able to witness and understand what unspoken and spoken love is. 
You both have given me something to strive for in my life and continually support me in all of my endeavors, regardless of how well they work out or not. You both say, we know it has been 32 years, and it is a long time to do one thing, but it does not feel long. I love you both, and I know my other two brothers feel the same way. To wrap up this anniversary shout out to y'all, here is a sweet poem by Christina Rossetti. You breathe life into my moments, like the fragrance of a rose in a room. You add color to my life, like a rose in a desolate house. Did I ever say you protect me? Like how the thorn of a rose guards the bearer. Oh, my rose, I dream of a moment where I can hold you, embrace you, and then pull you close to say softly in your ears, my rose, you are the most treasured hue in the palette of my life. I love you both. Happy anniversary. If you enjoyed listening to me talk, I have another show on Spotify called Extra Point, X-T-R-A-P-O-I-N-T, with my best friend, Bakari Garvin. And we have an Instagram at Extra Point Pod, X-T-R-A-P-O-I-N-T-P-O-D. And if you want content or knowledge, about me, your host, Trent Miley. Follow my professional Instagram at Riverside underscore readings. This has been Riverside Readings. I am your host, Trent Miley, and I look forward to the next journey we take together. As Last Pod would say, hail yourself and magustalations. <laughs>